want to talk about why should I wait for the Lord any longer? That's a verse in 2 Kings 6. Why should I wait for the Lord any longer? So I dare say all of us have had phone calls that went like this. Thank you for calling any name company. If this is a medical emergency, please hang up and dial 911. If you know your party's four-digit extension, you may dial it at any time. If you are a doctor or medical facility, please dial or say one. Representative. I'm sorry, that is not a valid entry. <laughs> if you have a question concerning a bill, dial or say two. Representative. I'm sorry, that is not a valid entry. If you have a question concerning an insurance claim, dial or say three now. Representative. I'm sorry, that is not a valid entry. For all other calls, please wait and your call will be answered in the order it was received. Representative. Your call is important to us. Your call will be answered by the next available representative in the order it was received. Your estimated wait time is six hours and 19 minutes. Thank you for your patience. Let's hear it for Rob Stipek and Representative. That scenario is all too familiar. As soon as I got going, you know where we were going with that call, right? Uh, ever been there? We have. And once you finally do get a person, they may or may not be able to help. They may put you on hold and then disconnect you. They may transfer you to another representative and you hear the menu options all over again. But every once in a while, you get someone that's most helpful. They empathize with you. Oh, I'm so sorry, Mrs. Shrek. They either know how to help you or they know the person that can help you and they know how to use the hold button and then the reconnect button and you talk to the same person again. How fabulous is that? You thank them profusely and you are willing even to do the phone survey at the end of the phone call because they were helpful. It turns out that representative was worth waiting for. Ever been there? This morning, we're going to look at a passage of scripture where the people of Samaria are in dire straits, and not because they're on a never-ending phone call message thing, loopy thing. They are in the midst of a significant famine, so dire that they are selling donkey heads for meat at an exorbitant price and against the Levitical law of the time there. It was so dire that two women get into a pack to eat each other's sons. Cannibalism. That's a dire situation. And all perspective for those two women was lost because of the situation. We can lose our bearings and even lose, I dare say, our faith and trust in God if we aren't careful in the midst of extenuating, extremely dire situations. So this is the situation in 2 Kings chapter 6, starting at verse 24. On top of the famine, the king of Aram has also come into Samaria and laid siege to the city. They've captured the city. 
the capital of the northern kingdom, Israel. The, situ excuse me, the situation is only going from bad to worse to worser. Er. Ever been there? The king of Israel, Joram, is at the breaking point. He's got famine. His, his land has been laid siege. He's at the breaking point. Ever been there? And he lashes out now at the prophet Elisha, God's representative. The representative who hasn't fixed the situation. The king is ready to kill the representative. Now, I'm not going to ask you if you've ever felt that way when you've been on the phone calls. But this king is ready to kill the prophet Elisha. So let's look at 2 Kings 6, starting at verse 31. The king of Israel, the king of Samaria, Joram, says, May God deal with me, be it ever so severely, if the head of Elisha, son of Shaphat, remains on his shoulders today. Now, Elisha was sitting in his house, and the elders were sitting with him. The king sent a messenger, messenger ahead, but before he arrived, Elisha said to the elders, Don't you see how this murderer, this king, is sending someone to cut off my head? God had shown the prophet Elijah that the king and the messenger were on their way to kill him. Look, when the messenger comes, shut the door and hold it shut against him. Is not the sound of his master's footsteps behind him? The messenger is coming to cut off Elisha's head, and the king is following right behind. While he was still talking to them, the messenger came down to him, and lo and behold, the king came also and said, This disaster... This famine, this siege is from the Lord. Why should I wait for the Lord any longer? Now, to be clear, the disaster was not from the Lord, as the king wrongly attributes it to. And we do that, don't we, in bad situations. We place motives where they don't belong. The situation is a result of the Israelites being disobedient to the Lord over a long period of time. And it's, and it's spoken about in Deuteronomy 28. The king has had it. He's at the end of his rope and sees absolutely no solution to the circumstance. He's so enraged, he's ready to kill God's representative, who time after time, God did use in miraculous ways for the people of Israel. The king says, why should I wait any longer for the Lord? Ever been there? God doesn't just seem to be moving on behalf of Samaria. They still are in a famine. They're still in a siege. It's going on longer and longer and longer and longer and longer. And the king of Israel says, I've had it. Why should I wait for the Lord to do something on our behalf? It just isn't happening. Well, today, we're going to look at some answers to why we should wait for the Lord longer. First, why should I wait for the Lord any longer? The situation calls for it. This is not should I wear the black socks or the blue socks situation. You are not in a should I wear the black socks or the blue socks situation, are you? Some of you have held, uh, had diagnoses, and the situation calls for the Lord to move in. Some of you have had to declare bankruptcy. And the Lord has to move in to that situation. 
Some of you have been waiting and waiting and waiting. That was a phone. Representative. (laughs) Some of you are waiting and waiting and waiting for your family to get saved. And the only situation, the situation calls for the Lord to move in that situation. So 2 Kings 6, 24 and 29. I spoke to you just briefly already about it. The king of Aram has come in and laid siege to Samaria. They're selling donkey heads for food. Two women call out to the, a woman calls out to the king and says, help me, my lord, the king. And the king replies, if the Lord does not help you, where can I get help for you? From the threshing floor, from the wine press? He recognizes at this moment that this situation is so dire, only the king of kings and the lord of lords, the God of all creation, can fix it. This passage is set prior to the king saying, why should I wait for the Lord any longer? At this moment, he knows that God can do it. We know when the diagnosis comes that God can do it. But then it's drawn out and it's longer and longer and longer. And we wonder, without God's intervention, the famine remains. Without God's intervention, the siege of the enemy is not broken. The situation calls for God to intervene. Many of you this morning are in those kind of situations. The situation is beyond you. And if you try to handle it, how's that working for you? We mess it up, don't we? So while the king realized the situation called for God's intervention by saying, if the Lord does not help you, where can I get help for you? The situation is dragging on. And now he says, why should I wait for the Lord any longer? So firstly, because the situation calls for it. Secondly, because God keeps his word. Oh, that's a good place to say amen. God keeps his word. Amen. Amen. 2 Kings 6, 33, and then into chapter 7, the king says, why should I wait for the the Lord any longer? And Elisha replied, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord says. About this time tomorrow, a sea of the finest flour will sell for a shekel and two seas of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. Now the officer on whose arm the the king was leaning on said to the man of God, Look, this is what the officer to the king says, Look, even if the Lord should open the floodgates of the heavens, could this happen? You will see it with your own eyes, answered Elisha, but you will not eat any of it. God, through Elisha, says, tomorrow everything changes. What is impossible today in the midst of a famine and a siege, tomorrow you'll be able to buy flour and barley cheaply. May it be that way for our gas as well. I've said it before and I'm going to say it again. Those closest to you had better know Jesus, had better know God, because the officer The king is leaning on the officer, and the officer says, well, you know, God could open the floodgates, but 
But that's not going to help. The situation is too far gone for anything to change by tomorrow. Nothing is impossible with our God. Amen? Over and over again, we read in Scripture, immediately, suddenly, at once. God can do it tomorrow. We should never be caught up in how God does things. We are simply to trust him, believe in his promises, and take them at his word because God keeps his word. That's why I should wait any longer for the Lord. He keeps his word. Now, of course, we need to know his word, to have heard his word for ourselves in our situations. What promise in your situation has God given you? We need to get into the word of God, brothers and sisters, and say, when we read something, say, God, that's for me. That's quickened in my spirit that that verse is for my situation, and I'm going to hold on to that word with every breath I have. I've prayed Jeremiah 33.3 more times than I can count for a situation in my family. Now, if I didn't open up my Bible, I wouldn't have found Jeremiah 33.3. God keeps his word. I better know his word and find a promise that I can hold on to. Jeremiah 33.3 says, Nevertheless, I will bring health and healing to it. I will heal my people and will let them enjoy abundant peace and security. I felt the Lord had given me this verse for a situation in our family. And through tears and fasting and prayer and standing on that word, John and I took God at his word and have seen God do it for our family. Why should I wait for the Lord any longer? Because God keeps his word. God is the God of the turnaround. We sang that today. Natalie turned around the first time when we sang that, right? And she said, oh, nobody else is turning around, so she didn't turn around anymore. But God is the God of the turnaround. By faith, we can lay hold of the promises of God, the word of God. God has a proven track record that he does what he says he will do, and he is who he says he is. He never says, oh, sorry, just kidding. He never says, oh, did you think I was serious about that promise that you could be saved through the blood of Christ? No, 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 I was just being sarcastic. He never says that. God keeps his word. Thirdly, why should I trust the Lord any longer? Because God specializes in surprises. God uses the most unlikely of people in the most unlikely of scenarios to answer in the most unlikely of ways at the most unlikely time. Why? So that he gets the glory. 2 Kings 7, let's keep going. So far, they're stuck in the famine, stuck in the siege, and the king has given up on God. Now, there were four men with leprosy at the entrance of the city gate of Samaria. They said to each other, why stay here until we die? 
right? There's a famine, they're going to die. If we say, we'll go into the city, the famine is there and we will die. And if we stay here, we will die. So let's go over to the camp of the Arameans, the enemy's camp, the army that has laid siege to Samaria. Let's go over to their camp and surrender. If they spare us, we live. And if they kill us, then we die. That is the most understated statement in the Bible. If they kill us, we will die. There's a verse to not stand on. If they kill us, then we die. At dusk, the four lepers got up and went to the camp of the Arameans. When they reached the edge of the camp, no one was there. For the Lord had caused the Arameans to hear the sound of chariots and horses and a great army, when in fact it was only four men with leprosy. So the Arameans said to one another, Look, the king of Israel has hired the Hittite and Egyptian kings to attack us. So they got up, fled in the dusk, and abandoned their tents and their horses and donkeys. They left the camp as it was and ran for their lives. The men who had leprosy reached the edge of the camp, entered one of the tents, and ate and drank. Then they took silver, gold, and clothes, and went off and hid them. They returned and entered another tent and took some things from it and hid them also. Then they said to each other, what we're doing is not right. This is a day of good news, and we are keeping it to ourselves. If we wait until daylight, punishment will overtake us. Let's go at once and report this to the royal palace. So they went and called out to the city gatekeepers and told them, we went into the Aramean camp and no one was there. Not a sound of anyone. Only tethered horses and donkeys and the tents just like they were. The gatekeepers shouted the news and it was reported within the palace. Four lepers. God specializes in surprises. God used four lepers that said, what do we have to lose? Let's go. And it sounded like horses and chariots and armies to the Arameans. Lepers get to the camp. Food, drink, gold, silver, clothes, horses, donkeys, more than they could ask, think, or imagine God had provided for them. The wealth of the wicked is laid up for the righteous. The word says, oh, that verse we know. Just a quick example, John was laid off in 1991. We lived on Long Island. We had bought a car in 1990, used car, Delta 88 Oldsmobile. <laughs> Those of you that are old know what that is. Those that are young, you really didn't miss much, all right? It was why it had like the computer was just starting with computers, it was a used car to us, so it would talk to us, door is ajar, door is ajar, and so it was fabulous. I had that car for 19 days, <laughs> and someone stole it. They wanted the computerized thing, because it was such a new thing. So that was 1990, I was a stay-at-home mom, we had a four-year-old, a two-year-old, and uh, 
Then 19, we decide, well, we won't buy a second car. I'm a stay-at-home mom. We'll just stick with one car. So we put the money in the bank. Well, 1991 comes along. John gets laid off. I am now expecting baby number three, another boy. We have no health insurance. I'm not working. He's not working. They laid him off and said, you can stop now, and there's no severance pay. The company ran out of money. It was a startup computer company. No money. Baby number three, no health insurance. We ate the car. We had put the car money in the bank. So now we had money in the bank from that car that was stolen. That was a terrible situation. God specializes in surprises. He turns what the enemy meant for evil around for good. And in 1991, John said, had said prior, oh, I'd never worked for a big company like IBM. Well, in 1991, IBM hired him. <laughs> and we moved up to Dutchess County, and he survived a year or two later the, la the big layoff that we had the first time IBM had laid off. He was the last hire. He survived. May was 31 years in IBM. God specializes in surprises. Why should I trust the Lord any longer? Because he specializes in surprises. Now, I want to give you a word of caution. Too often, we miss it. We don't realize that God's hand is in the situation. And we dismiss what God is actually doing because it just doesn't seem to make sense in the natural. And we say, no, God couldn't possibly be doing it that way. He couldn't possibly be using those people. Uh, 2 Kings 7, 12, the king gets news from the gatekeepers. There's food, there's horses, there's donkeys, and there's no Arameans in the Aramean camp. Our prayers have been answered. And the king gets up that night and says to his officers, I will tell you what the Arameans have done to us. They know we are starving, so they have left the camp to hide in the countryside thinking they will surely come out and then we will take them alive and get into the city. The king thought the Arameans were tricking them and that they were hiding and that as soon as they came, the people of Samaria they would be captured. Too often, we assign what God is doing to the enemy's work. And we say, oh, no, no, God wouldn't do that. God wouldn't use four lepers. God wouldn't use a stolen car. God wouldn't use Pastor Linda as the executive pastor. She was a stay-at-home mom for 14 years. She knows how to change diapers. God specializes in surprises. And we need to attribute when God does something to him and not dismiss it. Lastly this morning, why should I wait any longer for the Lord? Because the answer is worth the wait. There are tears in the wait. There are unanswered questions in the wait. There can be doubts and fears in the wait. There is sorrow sometimes in the wait. But brothers and sisters, God is in the wait. There is purpose in the wait. There is a presence of Jesus walking with you in the wait. There is more of the infilling of the Holy Spirit in the wait. There is a greater knowing of God, 
a greater dependency, a greater trust in the wait if we don't waste the waiting time. And the answer is always worth the wait. So now the king is suspect that the Arameans have really fled their camp and left everything behind. The king sends some of his army out after the Aramean army to find out, you know, where are they hiding? Well, they'll come out and kill those guys that we send ahead of time. So he's, he sends out uh, a few people out and uh, only to find out that the lepers were right. The Arameans had abandoned the camp. The enemy had fled. The siege is lifted. The Arameans left, and they left behind a vast amount of provision. The siege is gone because the enemy is gone. And the food is there because God provided it through the enemy. 2 Kings 7, 15 and 16. They found the whole road strewn with the clothing and equipment the Arameans had thrown away in their headlong flight. So the messengers returned and reported to the king. Then the people went out and plundered the camp of the Arameans. Could you imagine that scene? They went from nothing to abundance. They went from lack to provision. Why? Because God was in it. So a sea of the finest flour sold for a shekel, and two seas of barley sold for a shekel, as the Lord had said. The answer was worth the wait. Waiting on God is time well spent. Oh, and by the way, that officer who the king was kind of leaning on, that officer that was closest to him that said, well, you know, God opens the floodgates, it's still not going to matter, you're still not going to be able to buy flour cheap and barley cheap tomorrow. Well, it happened the next day. And that officer, well, he saw it, but he didn't live to eat it. And you'll have to read the rest of 2 Kings 7 to find out what happened to him, but it didn't end well for him. But for us today, brothers and sisters, why should I wait for the Lord any longer? Because the situation calls for it. Where else are you going to go for help? Who else can do what our God can do? Who else has the words of life? Who else can heal with mud? Who else can open up the floodgates of heaven and pour out a blessing we cannot contain? The situation calls for it. Why should we wait for the Lord any longer? Because God keeps his word. God specializes in surprises. I am exhibit A. And the answer is worth the wait. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. And I'm going to ask you a question. What have you been waiting on the Lord for? Those that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up as wings of eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. What have you been waiting on the Lord for? And it's taking too long. You trusted him at the beginning. You were full of faith, like the king. And then times passed, and you're like, why should I wait for the Lord any longer? 
I should just give up praying to him about this. It's not going to change. They're still sinning. I'm still depressed. I still don't have a job. Why should I keep waiting? My grandkids are still not being raised in a Christian home. Whatever it might be, why should I wait for the Lord any longer? What situation and circumstance comes to mind this morning for that? Perhaps the situation is that you've been doing life without God. This morning, you do not need to wait any longer for God to show up in your life and give you a turnaround and change your life completely. Jesus is the Son of God. He left heaven. He left, lived a sinless, perfect life. He went to the cross for your sins and my sins that I might have robes of righteousness instead of filthy rags, that I might know a holy God, that I might have a personal relationship with God, that I might live with him one day in heaven. Think of it. Why should I wait any longer for the Lord? Because I'll be in heaven one day with him. Saying yes to God will turn your whole life upside down and right side right. And today, you can say yes to God and watch him surprise you with what he does in you, for you, and through you. Or perhaps the situation is a diagnosis and God just has to intervene. Perhaps it's a loved one who's making horribly destructive choices. Perhaps it's unforgiveness and you just can't forgive that one. Whatever it might be, today we're going to keep waiting on the Lord. I'm going to invite you to stand and the worship team is going to lead us in a chorus. Wait on you, Lord, and then we're going to pray and watch what God will do. Wait on the Lord, wait on the Lord. He will renew your strength. Wait, I say, wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. He will renew your strength. So wait. Good 